Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. Now, I am not reintroducing the idea of purgatory. But on the other hand, I do believe the baby was thrown out with the bathwater. With that came a belief. When you die, you're instantaneously and magically made perfect. The soul of someone who dies immediately goes into eternity. There is no place where you make up for your sins. There is no purgatory. In the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Let's see if we can help Ms. Turner, shall we? A lot! No, it's not! Everything! This is Wretched Radio. Don't expect a Buddhist to understand love, but Christians most certainly should. No, Christians most certainly must. Why? Because it is the love of God that is put on display through the pinnacle event of all of human history. In Christ Jesus, the love of God was shown, and he wants us to know that love. And here comes that scary E-word, experience that love, to have that love inform us. And yet, it is my experience, for those of us who love conservative theology, Bible exposition, all good stuff, but... If we fail to focus on the love of God, you're going to become like a member of the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. The warning from Jesus, you are doctrinal, you are discerning, but your love has grown cold. How do you kindle that? It is by focusing on the love of God. That's right, I said focusing, not tangentially, not just mentioning it, but focusing on it. And you say you can't do that. Because that makes you a big Eva squish bomb. Well, take that up with Octavius Winslow. 1870, this Puritan preached a sermon from the verse about the love of God. And he spent 11 pages, and it's not double-spaced. I'm telling you, this is a thick one. Focusing on nothing but the love of God. Now, does that mean he never talked about judgment? No. Does that mean he never talked about wrath? Nope. Hell, nope, he talked about all of those things, but the emphasis was the love of God, and it doesn't make you squishy. When we run into these texts, and they are not just littered, they are consistent throughout the Bible, that the love of God is the attribute that he wants us to gasp experience, to know to enjoy. I wonder, is it possible your love has grown cold because you've been learning a lot, you're discerning, but you haven't even allowed yourself to focus on the love of God because of the abuse of the love of God. All of these TV preachers, they're just mush, aren't they? And perhaps we ricochet off of that, fall off of the horse onto the other side into a different ditch, but it is still a ditch focusing on just this mushy, almost romantic love of God. Well, that's a ditch, but to never talk rightly about the love of God, that ain't right either. So let us, let Octavius bask in the love of God, starting with 
personal pronouns. That's right. They were dealing with personal pronouns back then. Not in the way we are, mind you, but they did recognize the Bible uses personal pronouns that have implications for us. The verse that he chose was Psalm 48. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. Luther talked about his love for personal pronouns. Why? Because it has such implications that that this is not a carved idol on a mantle that we worship. This is a being that has made it possible for us to know his love. You're going to think, you're going to hear this and you're going to go, wow, that just sounds like a seeker-sensitive guy. No, it's not. It's a biblical guy. Quote, to endeavor to raise the believer to an elevated and proper standard, knowing the love of God in his personal religion, is the design of this sermon. That's it. There's his thesis statement. You're going to hear about the love of God, and he doesn't apologize for it. To neutralize the doubts, dissipate the fears, and confirm the faith of a single believer in Christ. That's what he wants to do, thus aiding him to place his foot upon another and higher round in heaven's ladder. Mike Abendroth wrote a book. It's called Assurance, because he is a pastor outside of Boston in Boylesville, I believe is the name of the town. He identified as a pastor that people are struggling with assurance. And now because of that, because he's preaching I think he would agree more about the love of God, still using the laws of mirror curb and a guide. Some people would label him antinomian. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Talk about the love of God in more than a drive-by and you're antinomian? No, you're not. It is a mirror curb and a guide. But it's also to lead us like a schoolmaster to Jesus who introduces us into this relationship in which we now stand. And if we don't preach this, Octavius Winslow got this 1870. People are going to struggle with assurance. Did you hear his list? Doubts, fears, confirmation. If you don't have those things rightly in order, it could be because you haven't focused focused on the love of God. We but imperfectly realize the greatness of God's love to his people, their preciousness to the heart of Jesus. Huh? Did he say we're precious to Jesus? Yes, he did. And how incessantly they are the objects of the Spirit's care and comfort. Tell me that doesn't sound like somebody who's peddling the gospel. Let us not let the bad guys keep us from studying. God is love. That would be your John 4, 16. If one per- this is fascinating, I'm telling you, this, 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 this is going to challenge you because it challenged me. I think I mentioned writing a book should be out fourth quarter called The Missing Piece is this particular chapter that we fail to remember the love of God, that in Christ, God loves you with the intensity of a thousand suns. And that's a lot. You don't have to be good at math or science to recognize, whoa, that is a hot love. And that is the attribute that God wants us to experience for eternity. And I was, I was nervous about writing that. 
that it's it's the love of God that we will be enjoying for eternity. Will we see his holiness? Of course. We're, we're, we're going to be made holy ourselves. We're going to be glorified ourselves. Will we understand his righteousness, wrath, and judgment? Yeah, we're going to be fully aware that the flames of hell, they keep on flaming. We won't forget those things. We'll know those things. But as Octavius Winslow is about to say, the big experience for the Christian for eternity is God's love from Winslow. If one perfection of God shines out in redemption with greater effulgence, brightness than any other, it is this. Love is the focus of all the rest, the golden thread which draws and binds them all together in holy and beautiful cohesion. Love was the moving, controlling attribute in God's great expedient of saving sinners. Thank you for saying it, sir. Sometimes we will preach the gospel gloriously. We'll, we'll use the law to bring about the knowledge of sin, talk about what Jesus did, but fail to remember John 3.16. God did this to demonstrate his love because he loved the world. And in Christ, then you scoot over to 1 John 4, he really, really, really loves us. And Winslow is saying, don't forget that. Justice may have demanded love. Holiness may have required love. Wisdom may have planned it. And power may have executed it. But love originated the whole and was the moving cause in the heart of God. Can you handle that? Huh? I don't want to get all Freudian because let me tell you something. You don't ever want to get all You don't even want to get a little Freudian. But is it possible that you struggle to experience and know the love of God in Christ Jesus because your father just didn't show love. Or you have a checkered past. Your history screams unlovable. That's just not what the Bible describes God's attitude is for you. Can you handle this? So that the salvation of the sinner is not so much a manifestation of the justice or holiness or wisdom or power of God as it is a display of his love. Whoa. <laughs> Everything that you see on the cross has its foundation in love. That God wants to be known for being a loving God, does this minimize his righteous justice, his anger at sin? Nope, it doesn't. But all of those things are informed by his love. Now, we want to be careful with the doctrine of simplicity, that, that God isn't bits and pieces, but we don't hear God describe himself as the angry, I mean, he does use those things, but predominantly, even the first time he describes himself in Exodus, it's rich in mercy, God. It's the loving God. Have you forgotten that? This is Wretched Radio. Just because Roe v. Wade is overturned, that does not mean the battle for life is over. Would you please consider supporting 
Preborn Ministries, providing ultrasounds that genuinely save lives. That ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing. And when she got here, it was just, oh my gosh. <laughs> Another woman who chooses life because she saw an ultrasound. Her life, and obviously her baby's life, changed. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. The war for life continues to rage. Would you please engage in the battle and support preborn centers at preborn.org slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched. Quick, what's the first thing that pops into your mind when I say the word partner? I'm only asking because I do genuinely wonder if I've been crystal clear on the significance of our gospel partners. Our gospel partners truly are allies, helping and granting us the privilege in spreading the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. With productions like Wretched Radio and TV, Road Trip to Truth, Transformed, and resources like Wretched Worldview, Breaking Bread, Life is Best, The Drive-By Series, and a ton of others, we're reaching millions with the gospel, but it's only possible because of the generosity of our gospel partners. If you're already a Wretched Gospel partner, I humbly thank you for your kindness and support. And if you're not, can I ask you to visit wretched.org slash donate to get all of the details on becoming a Wretched Gospel partner and then prayerfully consider partnering with us if you can. We are grateful for all you do and humble that God continues using wretches like us to spread his gospel to millions. Wretched.org slash donate. That's wretched.org slash donate. Confession, normally numbers aren't my favorite subject, but these numbers make me happy. MediShare is affordable biblical health sharing with twice the satisfaction rate of MediShare members versus traditional health insurance plans. The average family saves $500 per month. Over $3 billion worth of medical bills have been shared among MediShare members, which, by the way, MediShare has been around for a quarter of a century. Don't forget, telehealth is available at MediShare, and it will take you two minutes to receive a quote to see what you and your family could be saving every single month with MediShare. Affordable biblical health sharing. Please spend a very worthwhile two minutes at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Important dates in Christian history. 270 AD. A wealthy young man named Antony gives away his possessions and begins life as a hermit. Disciples follow his example, and the first monastic movement began. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Hey, this could have been worse. This is Wretched Radio. Exciting and Could have picked an air supply song. Count your blessings. We're expecting you. This is Wretched Radio. Gasp. Focusing on the love of God. Nope, we didn't just become liberal. We're just trying to be biblical, especially in a day and age when Martin Luther's words about a drunken man and a horse feel downright prophetic. The Christian walk is like walking on a horse. Well, you don't walk on the, the horse walks while 
I don't want to get all ranch lingo-y with you here, but you get on the horse and you fall off one side, you get back on it, you fall off the other side. And I wonder if it is possible that you have fallen into a ditch that is avoiding the love of God. Now, remember, there is a ditch where it's nothing but mushy, gushy love of God. That's a ditch. Let's get on the horse and ride it, courtesy of a dead Puritan named Octavius Winslow, who 150 years wrote, Love set its heart upon man, yearned to save man, and resolved to embark in the expedient of his salvation. I got to tell you, I hear words like yearn and love, and it kind of gives me the conservative heebie-jeebies. Whoa, buckaroo. Let's not turn God into a yearning boyfriend. Amen to that. But that doesn't mean we should ignore the central hate to say it this way because it's problematic with the doctrine of simplicity, but the love of God as 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 what his core is about. Yes, holiness, righteousness, just yes, 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 yes. But what you're gonna hear from a guy who's been dead for 150 years is it is the attribute of love that animates all of the other attributes. It's quite a claim. And it's a radical adjustment for us. So how did he do this? How did he re- embark on in the expedient of his salvation? It did so by conceiving a plan which should harmonize all the other attributes of his nature and engage them in the divine and wondrous work of redeeming love. Again, Winslow stating, it's love that motivated, it's love that drove, it is love that accomplished, it is love that keeps, it is love that God wants us to know. It is not without reason and design that we make the love of God the concentric truth from which we start. This is a game changer, and I'm perfectly mindful of the potential ditch in saying this, but when you open up your Bible today to read it, which I hope you do, Maybe start by going, I'm going to learn about the love of God today. Because even if you're reading the book of Revelation, that's still about the love of God. He's winning. He's redeeming a people. He is doing this to show he's amazing. When you read your Bible, remembering, okay, God is going to teach me something of his love for me. It's going to change the way you read it. It might just stop it from being a bit of an intellectual exercise and actually, you know, warm your heart. The character of God as the God of love is but imperfectly apprehended even by those who are the especial objects of his regard. That's us. There are few saints who study his character in the light of this wondrous perfection of his nature. They are awed by his greatness, impressed with his holiness, tremble at his power, but how few are subdued and drawn to him by his love. This was 1870. The very concern that you and I have about love bomb preachers would make Octavius Winslow a love bomb preacher. He's not saying don't ever deal with those other attributes But don't neglect or overlook or ignore the love of God. 
They do not, for the most part, conceive that loving view of his character and cherish those kindly thoughts of his mercy, as would disarm their minds of the terror of the slave and fill their hearts with the affection of the child. And yet, a believing apprehension of God's loving and lovable character of the great love with which he loves his saints lies at the root of all holy, filial, and unreserved obedience. You want to obey God? You've got to focus on the missing piece these days, and that is the love of God. Got to do it. Otherwise, it, it, it so quickly devolves into mere duty. It's better to be dutiful and obedient than not. But it is better to do your duty because I just plain want to. Why? Because I know the love that God has for me in Christ. From Winslow, you have thought of him, perhaps, as the God of holiness, as the God of justice, as the God of power, as the God of judgment. Come now and meditate upon him as the God of love. And while you thus muse on this marvelous and soul-subduing truth, may the fire of a responsive affection kindle in your heart and your tongue break forth into thanksgiving and praise. That's what happened to Paul. You'll see this happen. He just breaks out into doxology. He's talking theology. He's talking about the gospel. All praise and thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. That's what focusing on the love of God will do for you. And incidentally, when you read books of the Bible, you will notice the epistles. I think it's safe to say, perhaps, with the exception of Philemon, it starts with what? With what God has done for us. The love of God. Consider the book of Philippians. It begins with the love of God. Consider the book of Ephesians. It begins with the love. Of, consider First Peter, the book on persecution. To prepare you for persecution, he focuses on the love of God in Christ Jesus. From Winslow, God is essentially the God of love. The words which suggest our present meditation emphatically declare this. God is love. The most sublime sentence of the Bible. <laughs> if this Winslow fellow keeps it up, he's going he's gonna to find himself on a discernment blog. What he's, what he's going to experience, this is the central perfection around which, as satellites, all the others revolve, and from which, as harmonized in the salvation of man, they derive their position and luster. Thus, for example, omnipotence is the power of love. Omniscience is the eye of love. Omnipresence is the atmosphere of love. Holiness is the purity of love. Justice is the fire of love. And thus might we travel the circle of the divine perfections, and each one would be found but to be but another form of the essential perfection of love. Because God is love. It is his essence. It shines in all of his perfections. It is exhibited in all of his works. Winslow, he is nothing and can do nothing foreign to himself. Consequently, he is nothing and can do nothing in which his love is not an essential quality. Do you need, perhaps, to spend a little more time at least focusing on this love? 
God is infinite, and therefore this is this is now. How do how can you think about the love of God and have it do something for you? Like remove doubts and grant you assurance. Consider the infinitude of God. That God is infinite in all of His being. Remember the doctrine of simplicity. God is in parts and bits. So we always want to be careful when we talk about different attributes because they 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 don't reside in different places having said that when you consider the love of god in its infinity that should allow you to run to him when you sin that should allow you to repent again and again and again and not like feel like you have to wait 3 days or not go to church because of what you've looked at again god is infinite and therefore his love to us is boundless and fathomless This view of his infinite greatness is not to paralyze, but to strengthen our faith, not to repel, but to attract us. The very immensity of God is one of our greatest encouragements to actually approach him. Surely we may plead the greatness of God's love when we ask anything at his hand. Is your prayer life a little bit? God's resources, they're infinite, and his love for you is infinite. That's the God you're talking to. Approach then this love with the full persuasion of its infinite measurement. Don't let the greatness of your transgressions appall you. Let not the deep needs of your soul discourage you. Let not the turpitude of your guilty dis- of your guilt dismay you. Come with your great and minor sins. Come with your deep and your shallow needs. Come to his infinite ocean of love in which the elephant may swim and which the Lamb may wade. Might I encourage you today to let yourself, force yourself, if necessary, to talk about God's love and think on it deeply until you actually feel it. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. According to one report, a trans activist who lobbied to get a woman fired from her job at a video game company appears to have been successful. The woman's name is Carolyn, and her big crime was to question men who identify as transgender using women's restrooms, and she committed the offense of following the libs of TikTok on Twitter. And on that same day, Limited Run Games announced on its official Twitter account that an employee was fired, though it did not mention Carolyn by name. And ironically, in the announcement of the employee firing, they said, quote, LRG respects all personal opinions. However, we remain committed to supporting an inclusive culture. I'm not sure they understand what they just said, because respecting all personal opinions would go for Miss Carolyn as well, would it not? Digital ID verification. It's all the rage at the moment, and it's now mandatory for purchasing tobacco in the state of Nevada. The state passed Bill AB 360, and it went into effect the first of the year, and it requires all retailers that sell tobacco and vape products to scan an identity document of anyone who looks to be under the age of 40. In 2021, more than 10,000 people were killed by euthanasia in Canada. 
Dr. Ellen Weeb, who has personally been involved in 400 of those deaths, says she is proudly part of that kill count. In fact, in a recent speech to other doctors, she bragged that she was willing to kill patients that other refused to clear for MAID, which is medical aid in dying. That's not the kind of news that makes you feel comfortable going to the doctor. Obviously, I'm not saying that all doctors are like that, but it's definitely disturbing. A father who was arrested for protesting against the LGBT and race agenda in Loudoun County, Virginia, has won his case when a judge dismissed trespassing charges against him. John Tiggs, who's a military veteran, tweeted last week that he won his contentious case against the Loudoun County School Board, which alleged that he was trespassing after he spoke up at a school board meeting. I'm pretty sure that's not trespassing, that it's the First Amendment, and that's exactly what the judge in this case determined as well. Not sure if you remember the story or not, but in 2020, Virginia Tech soccer coach benched and eventually dismissed a player on his team for not kneeling before a game. That player, Kirsten Henning, just won a $100,000 settlement against the coach. In a statement, Coach Adair, who still coaches the Virginia Tech women's soccer team, said, quote, Today, we have the clarity that this case lacked any standing, and without evidence, the truth has prevailed. Maybe it's just me, but people who are that adamant in their innocence don't pay $100,000 settlements. But again, it could just be me. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible The Book of Numbers tells the story of Israel's wandering in the desert for 40 years. The journey from Egypt to Canaan should have only taken 11 days, but Israel's grumbling and disobedience angered God, and none of the Israelites were allowed to enter the Promised Land. But God remained faithful and led their children into their inheritance. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Progressing? We're more like Huey Lewis. This is Wretched Radio. Let's go back in time, and when we do, we will discover we're not advancing as a civilization. We are actually regressing. Why? Because all of the new liberties, rights, all of the pride about autonomous self displaying itself sexually, with different genders, if there even were such a thing. This ain't nothing new. This is not progress. Now, in recent history, you could say that it's definitely a move from what we've believed, but that doesn't mean we haven't been here before. Rod Dreher, who is a capital O Orthodox Christian, he took a trip to visit some of the churches in the book of Revelation, one of which was Ephesians, and you remember what happened in Ephesus? Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They chanted wildly. Why? Because this sex goddess was the center of their society. And Rod Dreher, in quoting different sources in the American Conservative, brings us back in time to remind us where we're going is where we were. And frankly, we don't want to return to, but it will bring a little bit of clarity that Romans 1, when it was written, was written in this time, the devolving of human morals and values and behavior, it just swirls down and it always ends up with sexual sin. That's, that's where it has to go. 
because it is such a powerful pull for people. It is so all-consuming for most males that it, 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 this, this, this is the necessary end to a depraved mind. Rod Dreher, whichever vision they followed, all of Sybil's priests, known as Gali, performed voluntary self-castration in honor of Addis as their final initiation into the cult. Afterwards, they dressed in women's clothing and presented as women for the rest of their lives. Uh, by the way, clarification, somebody sent me an email saying, hey, hey, you said you're never going to talk about any of these current trans issues, gay issues. That's not good. And just to clarify, that's not what I said. I just said we're not going to unnecessarily spend time swimming around in that cesspool of knowledge because I don't think it, that it helps to just focus on the corruption of our culture as a diet. Yeah, we we want to keep it on the plate, but it shouldn't be all that we consume, especially when it results in nothing but ah, this world. Oh, that we should be aware of that, and I think we all are at this point. So we'll focus on these issues, but only if they instruct or help us. Back to Rod Dreher, taking us back in time. It is impossible to attempt to divine the gender identity of individuals after their death, especially when they came from a culture that constructed gender differently from our own. It is a reasonable assumption that while some of the priests may well have been cis men, who felt the divine call, many others were trans-feminine people who recognized themselves in Sybil's priesthood and found a space in which to embrace their true identity. In other words, there were a lot of trans people who were going through surgical procedures, if you can call them that, to help them, their bodies, identify with the way that they feel. This is nothing new. Now, how prevalent was it then? I don't know. We didn't have Pew Research. We didn't have the National Institute of Health, but we do have plenty of historical data to inform us that it wasn't just temple priests that would take the knife to themselves. It was folks, because that was the culture. That was the time. The Gali, these were Sybil's priests, the Gali were a paradox. Their extraordinary gender expression made them marginal and transgressive, but the official incorporation of their cult into Roman religion made them central and conferred legitimacy. That's what we're in the process of doing. They were both dehumanized because of their eunuch status and also close to divine because of their close relationship with the goddess. Now, we don't have the goddess part anymore, but... We do have the autonomous self. We do have, we all have, we all these days have a very personal deity ourselves. And we therefore can do whatever we want to ourselves because we are the God of ourselves. Well, the priests back then, they served a small G God. And in doing so, they would castrate themselves. And once the religion was accepted into Roman culture, as normative? Well, then this became normalized. Sound familiar? Caesar Augustus, who reigned at the birth of Jesus, declared Sybil worshipped by the Romans as Mina Mater. Should be Magna Mater. 
Yeah, it is. That's a G. Magna Mater, or Great Mother, to be the chief goddess of the Roman Empire. The chief goddess had priests who mutilated their bodies. We shouldn't be shocked, should we? This is nothing new. The extraordinary rise of transgenderism with popular culture driven by elites celebrating transgendered people and drag queens and the widespread denigration of masculinity is unmistakably pagan. It's all part of the rapid repaganization of the post-Christian West. People love to say, well, we don't want God in government. Oh, yes, they do. It's just a pagan deity, even if it is nothing more than a pagan ideology. They are still worshiping the goddess of sex. And that's what we're seeing. This is what the hole will always be filled. Culture is like the Sahara Desert when it's dried and cracking and you pour water on it. It's just going to seep. Something is going to fill the cracks. Something will fill the hole. A religion will always be a part of every civilization, even if it is nothing more than the deity of the chairman. There, there's still something that needs to be there because it, 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 it's a part of who we are. Then every culture groping and manufacturing idols because they know that there's a deity, they just reject the one who is the true God. So paganism is really what we're dealing with here. This isn't just a sexual issue. This isn't just gender stuff. This is paganism. Rod Dreher, from his little visit to Ephesus, some of that article, by the way, gets a little bit much for my tastes. I will do my best to edit out those bits. The early Christians in the pagan world were hated because they really did represent a direct threat to the social and political order, which was built on religion. Had the Christians offered Jesus as a personal small-g God and added him to their pantheon, they would have faced no trouble, but they were bearers of a fundamentally Hebraic religion and were monotheists. They'd been like the Jews, content to practice their religion amongst their tribesmen. They wouldn't have had many problems, but they evangelized, and they won converts from Judaism and paganism. We see what a threat the Christians were in Acts 19 when an Ephesian silversmith named Demetrius tried to incite a program against St. Paul and the disciples. Demetrius made the reasonable point that if Christianity spread, people would stop worshiping their great goddess Artemis. What's more, they would stop buying the silver idols of Artemis that the silversmiths made and on which their prosperity was based. So they had a very personal interest in this industry. And we're, we're not seeing something new. This isn't a new page that is being written in the history books. It's a repeat. In the, the key role of sex played in the religious life of the Greco-Roman pagan, in which these tiny persecuted churches struggled, was nasty. The sexual morality proclaimed by Paul was seen as liberating by slaves and women and all those oppressed by Roman society and religion. Now, that's hopeful, isn't it? Because paganism is not a benevolent taskmaster. 
When you become a slave to sin, you will discover misery, unhappiness, brokenness, depression, confusion, meaninglessness, suicidal thoughts. Hmm. Is that sounding familiar? And along came Paul with the courage to say, uh-uh, all these deviant forms. Nope. One man, one woman, lifelong covenant commu- relationship with one another till death do you part. That's the context for intimacy, and that's the exclusive context. And guess what? It actually caught fire with those who were miserable because of the pagan sexual perversion that pervaded the society. And that means we should look at that history and realize, you know what? There's an opportunity for the gospel to flourish, but we have to be courageous. We have to be bold. We have to stand for truth. The early Christians, they took their knocks, they were fed to the lions, they went to prison, they were starved to death. But they stood firm, courageously proclaiming truth and God's morality, and guess what? It won the day, and it can again. This is Wretched Radio. Cool, very cool. The Tomorrow Clubs now have 106 clubs in Romania. This year marks the celebration of the 25th anniversary of our ministry. But also, it is a very important milestone for Tomorrow Clubs Romania. Now, Tomorrow Clubs Romania has 106 clubs. That means 106 villages are hearing the gospel proclaimed to the kids who get saved. They bring the gospel home. Parents get saved and local churches get strengthened. Would you please consider supporting the Tomorrow Clubs? Not only do they have hundreds of clubs in Romania, Ukraine, Russia, Albania, all over Eastern Europe, and now in Africa, would you please consider what might you do to bring the gospel to both Africa and to Eastern Europe? Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. Here's a fun fact. Did you know Todd also hosts a daily TV program? Yep, that's right. Wretched TV is a daily 30-minute program containing live witnessing encounters, conversations about tough theological issues, and like a jillion other things. And you can find Wretched TV pretty much everywhere. It's airing on over 135 Christian TV networks. You'll also find the show on streaming services like Roku, American Gospel TV, Answers in Genesis TV, Amazon Fire TV, and as always, very trustworthy and reliable, wretched.org. This, of course, is only possible because of our gospel partners. It's through their kindness and generosity and commitment to the gospel that we're able to reach millions of people all over the world every year. And so can I ask you to please pray about partnering with us in our efforts to preach the gospel, equip the saints, and strengthen the local church. You can find out more about becoming a Wretched Gospel Partner at wretched.org slash donate. For your consideration, not one but two ways that you could strengthen the local global church, the Masters Academy International, training men in Los Angeles who then return to their home countries and open up mini seminaries to train pastors in their native land. That strengthens the local church. But there's another way you can do just that. We are partnering with the Masters Academy International to send Bibles to the Philippines, not just any Bible, MacArthur Study Bibles to believers in TMAI-trained churches. 
these efforts strengthen the local church. Would you please consider how many Bibles you might send, how many seminaries you might support overseas? To learn more, visit wretched.org pastor, or if you like the Bible sending idea, wretched.org Bible. Revelation. God has revealed himself through many means, including the conscience. God has given each person a conscience so that they can understand his moral standard and their failure to keep that standard. While the conscience can be deadened and twisted by sin, every human being has an innate knowledge of God's law. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. This is Wretched Radio. Just received a meme sent from my buddy Bart announcing <laughs> that Emil Zwayne of Living Water's dad is now officially the oldest man in the world at the age of 112. And the great news is it's been a few years now, but easy using the law, preaching the gospel to his dear dad. For decades, finally bore some fruit. He got saved just a few years ago. Now, there is a lesson to be learned from that. You can have some hope that that grandparent who isn't saved could get saved. On the other hand, if you're somebody who's been dillying and dallying, that's right, dillying and dallying, thinking, I'll just deal with this Jesus business till I'm older. Don't be a fool. Jesus' words, by the way, fool this day. Your life could be required of you. Don't wait. Besides, to wait to get saved is to entirely miss the point of Christianity. It is not just to get out of hell free. It is to be brought into a right relationship with the God of love. So happy birthday to Emil Zwayne's dad. You're probably thinking, well, let's see, if he's 112, and let's say he was 30, Easy 72? I can't remember when his dad had Easy, but I think he was in his 60s or 70s, perhaps. I'm not sure, but it was a little bit later than, than usual. Uh, happy birthday to... Uh, Papa Zwayne, let's go back to Ephesus. Heads up, Mom and Dad. This might be a little bit on, and I and I and I don't do this casually, but it's it it could seem seamy on the sordid side. But let us take a look at history, going back to Ephesus, going back to the first century Roman Empire to understand the attitude of culture toward sexual things, and we will see. There ain't nothing new under the sun. This, what you and I see, it is the same old, same old. From historian Kyle Harper, slave ownership was not just the preserve of super-rich aristocrats, though the sheer extent of slave-owning meant that the mechanics of Roman sexuality were shaped by the presence of unfree bodies across the social spectrum. You were a slave. You didn't even own your body. 
and therefore you could be used in any way that your owner saw fit. One in ten families in the empire owned slaves. The number in the towns was probably twice that. The ubiquity of slaves meant pervasive sexual availability. You wonder, can it get worse in the West in the 21st century? And the answer is yes, because it was every, it surrounded you. Sex was out in the open. And I mean, literally, it would be out in the open. There, there, was, there was nothing private necessary. And everybody knew if you saw a slave, you probably saw somebody who was abused. It became normative. Isn't that what we're seeing these days? Back to historian Kyle Harper. Nothing summarized the abject depravity of Tiberius, emperor, as his use of young slave children on Capri. Nero's reputation for debauchery fused in his three reputed marriages to Eastern eunuchs. Huh. There were voluntary eunuchs back then? Yep. And apparently, Nero favored that. Eunuchs did, in fact, come to occupy an ever more important place in pederastic practices of the Roman Empire. Domitian, whose favorite was a eunuch cupbearer named Irinus, E-A-R-I-N-U-S, which is funny because that's a masculine name, because huh. it ends with a U-S, sorry. Banned castration within in the empire, but the transfrontier trade was able to pump eunuchs into the empire at a sufficient level that their prominence continued to gain into late antiquity. What changed it? What eradicated it? It's Christianity. Christians willing to say, no, not good. Your body, it isn't your own. It doesn't belong to a human. It belongs to God. And this is the way he made you. And you will learn to live in that reality, not change reality by the way that you feel. And it won. Now, I know there's a lot of historical details to the expansion of Christianity in the West, but by holding firm, as we heard from this Rod Dreher article in the American Conservative, that the people who were feeling the effects of the sexual perversion of its day, <sighs> we like this message. We like th somebody who is being that promiscuous, whether by choice or coercion, when they hear, how's about one, just one of the opposite gender? Where you, where, where you can compliment one another, where, where you can be a theological statement, where you can enjoy the blessing of children. And the culture said, yeah, we like that and adopted that. Are we progressing today? No, we're reverting right back to where we were in the first century. In the densely urbanized and highly monetized economy of the Roman Empire, sex was a most basic and readily available commodity. Girls stalked the streets. Taverns, inns, and baths were notorious dens of sex. Brothels were visible everywhere. By the way, that's true today, isn't it? Every, no, not every time. Let's just be generous and say nine times out of ten, when you see a man with a cell phone, there's the brothel right in his hand. What do you know? Nothing new. 
Well, this is what happens in a in a post-Christian culture. Now, this was a pre-Christian culture. We went into a season, and it was a long, good season, of God and the Bible informing our sexual mores. We're abandoning that. And this is, we're, we're just, we're zooming right back to the first century. Prostitution was an exuberant part of Roman capitalism. What is the number one financial earner on the internet? Pornography. Hands down. Nothing new. The low price of sex is stunning. Sex seems to have cost maybe two, I don't know what that, what that currency is, in an ordinary town about the price of a loaf of bread. <sighs> Cheap. This is a low view of the human body. This is a low view of image bearing, of personhood. Isn't that what we're seeing today in the abortion arena? The early Christians saw that every human being had dignity as bearers of God's image. They saw that pagan sexual morality was cruel and vile, and they firmly stood against it. That's what we should be doing today. What, what you're prescribing is vile. It is wicked. It is cruel. Come to Christ. This is the way to live. This is the way to be set free. This is the way to experience joy. That's what our ancestors did. It seems to have worked. You see the threat that early Christians posed to the social order that was spiritually corrupt as well as sexually corrupt. We have an opportunity. What I'm saying, there are people who are hurting and devastated. Now, we don't want people to come to Jesus because he will heal their wounds, but he will, won't he? He, he does. It's part of the package of what Jesus promises and offers to people, and he will, and he does, and we have a gazillion testimonies to bear witness to that truth. We just need to be proclaiming it. From the article, whichever version, this is, this is by the way, Rod Dreher's article. It is the American conservative, and again, um, some of it was unnecessarily vivid in my estimation. The extraordinary rise of transgenderism, driven by elites, celebrating transgendered people, drag queens, denigration of masculinity, is unmistakably pagan. That calls us back to remember what we're dealing with. We are not seeing a mere cultural collapse. We're seeing a battle in the spiritual realm in the heavenly places. This is about God. This is not just a battle for sexual expression or gender identity. This is a war for truth about God. And if we merely focus on trying to mandate correct sexuality, well, it ain't going to change culture really, and it ain't going to change anybody's eternity. We need to be courageous like first century, second century, third century, fourth century, fifth century Christian. It took 500 years for the propagation of the Christian gospel, for this depravity to be debunked and a better way to be followed. Perhaps it's time for us to follow their lead. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.